Does that even make sense? Brought to you by iLand, this is the Cloud Bytes podcast, where we've brought together a panel of opinionated cloud customers, providers, and analysts to discuss topics related to how clouds are built, marketed, and consumed. Everyone has different needs in the cloud, so we'll debate the topic at hand and at the very least agree to disagree. Our goal is to provide good sound bites about how to manage your bytes in the cloud. And sometimes the best conclusion may simply be that the cloud bites. This episode is all about how visibility and accessibility improve the experience of the cloud. My name is Brian Knudsen. I'm cloud technologist for iLAN and will be acting as our moderator for today's discussion. This episode's panel includes a jubilant jury of J names. Let's start by having each of our panelists quickly introducing themselves in their current role and a soundbite of their initial thoughts about what is important about the accessibility of cloud infrastructure. Howdy y'all, I'm Joe Hughes based out of Austin, Texas. I'm currently a solutions architect and stepped into the vendor role for the first time after about 15 years of field IT. And honestly, I think to me, cloud accessibility comes down to your mindset. Cloud can be easy, cloud can be hard. It just depends on if you're willing to make the shift. Hey, thanks for having me on, Brian. This is Jack Bailey. I'm a uh, director of enablement for channel and for sales. And my background is in technical sales as well. And much like Joe was mentioning, it's definitely a shift in mindset when you talk about accessibility. And for many customers, it's a big change from their on-premises experience to the cloud and how different that accessibility is. Well, thank you both for joining me. So when moving to the cloud, IT teams almost always have to deal with these types of changes and the way they interact with their infrastructure. Whether it's a fundamental shift in the way that they architect their infrastructure, or it could simply be a new interface that still uses the same terminology, that accessibility of the information about their workloads will usually have to change in some way. Though different platforms may introduce more dramatic differences in what customers can see about the infrastructure, Let's start by talking about what should fundamentally be the most accessible to the majority of on-premises customers. Joe, what are the advantages of a VMware-based company if they were to move to a VMware-based cloud? Well, the biggest advantage for VMware-based companies is the fact that they don't have to make major changes to their operations. Really, the benefit that they get is they get to use their same tooling, their same methodology. They understand the terms and all the components. There may just be a large underlying portion of the stack that they no longer have to manage. That's obviously a big advantage there is not necessarily needing to manage the lower levels, but still knowing that, you know, you've got experts that are helping to deal with that. Does having it be based on the same thing that customers are used to in their own data center, you know, they're used to digging into the deep bowels of vSphere sometimes. Have you seen customers looking at a cloud infrastructure that is based on that same infrastructure and saying, hey, I'm going to be familiar with that. I may not see all the same things I saw before, but at least I know in my mind how it's operating under the covers. Yeah, or it could be that there's new components. You know, if they're relying on VMware Cloud and AWS, it's potentially, you know, a new environment for them. And the fact that they don't have vSAN in their environment or they don't have NSX inside of their environment, but that's not a requirement. You know, they just get to consume the platform similar to what their application owners are getting as the experience within their on-prem environments. So the real big shift for them is just that they're no longer responsible for the underlying infrastructure or the data center that's housing their environment. They're just worried about the workloads. Jack, you want to jump in? 
Yeah, I definitely would add to that. I, I agree with Joe's positioning there for the most part. I'd say, you know, when talking to customers over the years in full transparency, I've worked for a cloud provider based on VMware, right? But I've definitely seen one of the biggest hurdles to customers with cloud adoption is that expertise and how it translates over. I think we could all agree that for the most part, when you move from an on-premises environment to whether it's a VMware-based cloud or a hyperscaler, a lot of the same key functionality exists on all the platforms, but really the location, the way it's managed, the expertise, and the way that all translates to the customer can be a big hurdle. And I think we can agree knowing that you know 80 to 85% of the market, depending on which survey results you read, being VMware-based, that the vast majority of customer sites that you walk into are going to have some level of expertise, some certifications or people that have gone through training on VMware. And that's not always the case with some of the other platforms out there. So I'd say that's a big hurdle just in terms of control, manageability. And frankly, one of the drawbacks of that is not just the consumption of cloud, but the chance for things like misconfiguration or lack of the way that things work within the cloud as well. It's much less critical that you get things right the first time within your on-prem environment where you have your own firewalls and you have everything in place that essentially keeps everything contained as opposed to when you've got things living in public cloud environments where anyone can essentially go through and sniff your environment to see if they find vulnerabilities. And it's not quite as exposed if it happens to be something that you've done exactly the same way as your on-premise environment. Yeah, 100% agree. I'd say that, you know, on that topic of accessibility as well, we talked a little bit about the knowledge, how that translates. It's interesting to see as well, uh, and this branch is a little bit off the pure topic of accessibility, but just with customers moving and not realizing how there is some lack of compatibility on not just their knowledge, but guests the way that things operate within the environment, those are all big things as well that need to be considered before they move the cloud. Yeah. And, you know, those businesses moving to the cloud, like I said before, they're really trying to get out of that infrastructure business. But just because they don't manage all those components, you know, having that familiarity is good to know what those components are. But there's still a level of transparency that a cloud provider can provide to them about that layer, you know, what kind of network throughput am I getting? It may not be something that directly affects and, and definitely not something that they can do anything about in a lot of cases. But Jack, I'm curious from what you've seen, are customers still looking to be able to see what goes on kind of behind the curtain underneath that layer of abstraction that they get from the cloud? Oh yeah, I think without a doubt, I'd say the visibility is part of the decision criteria for a lot of customers moving to the cloud. And I think this is true for a lot of reasons and how it's delivered is unique as well. One of the first things I'd say on that is that visibility increases trust. It enhances the perception of the cloud. And I think that both are a critical assessment for organizations that are looking to move their workloads. One of the reasons I say that this is maybe important is, you know, establishing the trust, enhancing perception from the cloud for the organization is a lot of organizations leverage cloud initially for backup and disaster recovery purposes, right? Having worked in the cloud for a while, we consider that sort of the dipping your toe in the water, so to speak, to get used to the idea of that cloud being a part of the environment. And as data of last resort, initially, customers have to understand a number of items, right? They need that visibility. They need to know the functionality of, say, as we were talking about in that example, if their backups are working, if they have capacity to continue putting things in the environment, whether it's for replication, migration, backup purposes. 
knowing that things are going to work. We talked about this a moment ago, right? When this is a big critical factor for people selecting VMware-based clouds as part of that compatibility and expertise and knowledge and that comfort. So I think visibility is part of that. And then on the production side, I'd say that visibility helps with daily success, right? As you just mentioned, Brian, there's some things the customers can't control just by the nature of if we're speaking more uh generalistically, cloud being multi-tenant in nature, there's not all things the customers control. But on the large scale here, the saying you can't manage what you can't measure, I think applies nicely here. When customers have better visibility in the cloud, the right people have the right permissions, the right visibility. And with that information, they can make decisions, take actions, know what's happening there. I'd say the final thing about that would be A lot of organizations are becoming more and more global in nature, and they may have teams all across the world. That visibility is key, not just for the user experience, but for, again, sharing information across teams. If you have a true follow the sun model as an organization consuming the cloud, say a SaaS provider or a larger organization that has a global footprint, visibility can help with sharing knowledge, can help with delivering outcomes better and making sure that training, onboarding, all that helps the team. So whether it's managed or self-service, like I said, depending on permission, it's a huge thing, I'd say, for customers to have that visibility for comfort and for daily operations as well. Well, and you know, one of the biggest benefits of shifting to cloud infrastructure, especially if it does end up being you know, something similar to VMware Cloud or AWS, where it's running inside of a hyperscaler environment, you know, exactly to Brian's point, they get out of the business of managing infrastructure. And most of our organizations don't do it to a scale that we do it efficiently, that we do it well, that we have any sort of real cost savings coming to it versus just offloading all of those operations and just worrying about what's actually critical to the business of those workloads. So it's a big shift for a lot of organizations, but they also get the benefits of, you know, honestly, who manages the data center better than I do, Amazon. These are the scale items that play into their benefit when they get into the cloud realm and and do it properly and just get into the consumption model. So playing off of that, who does it better, the people that do it at scale, it's the amount of dedication they can have to that. You know, it's the classic, my business isn't the business of infrastructure, so why should I be hosting my own virtual machines? When it comes to visibility of an infrastructure like that, it's being managed at scale by dedicated experts that do nothing but infrastructure, does that change the dynamic of how accessible the information about how the infrastructure is running? Does that matter to customers? Is it change what they should be looking for in that accessibility? I think they really need to just shift in their mindset because, again, this is where IT operations has to get into the mindset of just being consumers of the platform. You know, there are a lot of folks in IT that are traditional infrastructure admins that don't understand being a consumer of the PaaS model. You know, they're used to owning that entire stack and that being theirs. So they're not necessarily focused on only the operations portion of that, as well as separated out from the infrastructure. Yeah. And as a result of that, not caring as much about what kind of connectivity, how fast is that network connection? Is Am I getting full access to that 10 gigabits per second? Right. That's where they need to understand at least have the visibility into what is the guarantee or at least the SLA of the minimums that they're supposed to get for consuming that environment to know, are they actually getting it? Because if they're not, they're still paying for it. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I'd say that ties into the pre-sales process as well, right? For a customer, we talk about visibility being important once they're in the cloud. It's definitely important for visibility to be there during the pre-sales process for much like you're speaking to the customer to be well informed of the trade-offs of financials of a shared model, right? And whether they need truly dedicated resources or if they can leverage a pool-based approach or whatever the case may be there as well, because it is Definitely a transition, not just in the location, the way things are managed, but certainly in terms of costs and uh, the pros and cons there, too. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, being it's a shared model, you know, you're sharing the bandwidth coming out of that particular host or whatever that might be, obviously changes the way that that you look at it. In some of those places, it simply doesn't make sense. Or in some places, it may not even be measurable how much I'm using versus how much you're using. And so that can hamper the type of accessibility they have to that level of information. Joe, as we talk more about the transparency and what's going on, we've talked a lot about the technical aspects of it. But when we look at some of the non-technical aspects, can you speak to what customers should be looking for when it comes to things like billing, you know, being able to see how much it's costing them? Speaking to the SLAs, you know, what level of availability they're actually getting and when there might be problems, how much they're using the security aspects of things, you know, how much access do they have to some of the intrusion prevention and detection type systems. And, you know, Jack mentioned earlier, being able to witness what their backups look like of that virtual machine in the cloud or that application that they're running in the cloud. Yeah, I would say in that case, it kind of comes down to a few different things. So it's a little dependent on if you are running purely native cloud, you know, if you're running something within just a native AWS or Azure or GCP environment versus, you know, VMware being the underlying component that you're consuming inside of that environment versus even if you are running a cloud environment within a managed service provider that's just basically hosting resources that you're connecting to. All of those are a little bit different in the way that you would manage and also in the way that you would structure and kind of dig into all of those resources. And some of it also comes down to either how mature or how segmented your organization might be. Because it might be much simpler for smaller organizations where almost everything in IT operations is a shared resource model and everyone has shared responsibilities because everyone might have visibility into that entire stack once it goes to the cloud. But if you're in a larger organization or if you're in an organization where the access restrictions and visibility into that ties more into what your job role is, then you may see aspects of what you're using as far as compute resources or storage, but you may not have visibility into the networking components that are going into it or the security that's being provisioned with, you know, IAM roles and a lot of your resource groups and such. Or it could be that you don't have visibility into what cloud-native resources are being tapped into that environment that are kind of outside of the purview of traditional IT because that's something that wouldn't exist in your legacy or on-prem data center. So some of it really comes down to what is your model? You know, are you doing strictly a lift and shift from on-prem to the cloud? Or are you divvying up the roles and responsibilities and all the resources? And then do those cloud consumption resource groups align with individuals inside of your organization to actually understand what those components are? And does it make sense for your organization from either visibility or security to have more people gain access to all of that to even see all the components that tie into it? 
Yeah, I think uh, I agree with quite a bit of that. I'd say my experience over the past few years, and of course, full transparency for the listener, I currently work at Island, so I have a particular set of perspectives on this. One of the biggest reasons I've seen customers go to the cloud and quickly decide it may not have been the best fit for them is very often not just around compatibility of expertise and other things like that, but around billing. And I think that the cliche answer of saying if a customer gets a 19-page bill and they don't understand what any of it means, visibility is not there, right? And that they need to have a different approach. At the same time, I'd argue that a lot of customers, time and time again, when they're on-premises and they have very beefy hosts, other things like that, they often over-provision. And it's really, again, a change in mindset when you move to the cloud about the additional visibility you need and the additional care you have around the resources you consume. You know, one of the tools we use here with customers, something called Catalyst, it's shocking. Well, maybe not shocking to everyone who's listening to this because you're in IT, you get it. Just how over-provisioned a lot of customers are, right? How very wasteful some people are in their own on-premises environment. So that visibility becomes so important when they move to the cloud about the potential to reduce costs, to save, to trim back, to make better use of resources and use it strategically, whether it's hybrid or all-in. It's definitely a change from on-prem because of that. Yeah. I mean, one of the biggest things that I've had uh, promoted in most of the user groups, and especially for folks that are moving from traditional IT on-prem infrastructures to the cloud, you know, the the first thing that most of the Azure and AWS architects or the folks that have gone out to the cloud and had to quickly pull back all said was, you know, don't build big iron in the cloud. Do not try and reconstruct your data center (laughs) as it exists in the cloud unless you're ready to pay that bill. Yeah. If your company's okay with that cost just for it to not be your problem, then more power to you. Most organizations don't have that type of budget. And sometimes that's even where people have to take the shift of going a step further, even rather than provisioning VMs. That's where they just need to look at provided services, because if all you need is the compute and all you need is the results of what happens within hosted databases or functions as a service that you can run, then what's the point of running a VM? You know, if everything is constructed properly and it's secured and you get the benefit of that result that you need without having to manage even that cloud based infrastructure then is that worth looking at that? Is there an opportunity there to leverage, again, more of the hyperscale, cloud scale resources that are available rather than you owning and managing everything in that process when all you need is the end result? Yeah, absolutely. I'd say just to add one extra layer on top of that as well, it's really important for customers going back to the pre-sales process as well as the consumption part for them to be aware of how they're going to get billed as well. For customers, again, that are shifting from on-prem that are used to no chargeback model, and many organizations <laughs> don't leverage a chargeback model, are used to like, hey, if I want to hot add more RAM and see what this thing does, great. If I want to have extra CPU and I don't have to worry about CPU wait time, which is something a lot of customers learn about uh, when they shift to the cloud, they don't have to worry about it. But probably one of the biggest things, again, is because they've over-provisioned, and Joe, you make a great point about that big iron analogy there, They move to the cloud and they're like, well, hey, I'm only using a little bit of CPU and RAM. Why on earth would I get a bill for the whole thing? So the other thing customers need to be aware of, again, from a pre-sales perspective, is not all clouds are the same when it comes to instance or consumption models, right? For example, with our organization, if a customer utilizes 4 gigahertz and 2 gigs of RAM on a machine, even if it's 20 gigs of RAM, that's what they get billed for. That's an important component for a customer to have visibility on. 
whether it's in the console, whether it's in the monthly bill, or again, in the pre-sales process, because that can lead to a lot of sticker shock if you don't go well-informed on that. It's much easier to over-provision in a hosted environment that's being provided by a managed service provider rather than an AWS or an Azure, because they will absolutely sell everything they can inside of their environment. So if you're not using it, someone else is. And if you sign up and subscribe for it, they're essentially not selling it to somebody else, or they're going to get as close as they can to that 100% consumption. So you're absolutely paying for it, even if you have resources provisioned and powered off in that environment. So yeah, be very careful about what you've spun up, assuming, oh, it's not in use, and therefore I'm not billed for it. Absolutely. And I couldn't agree with you more either, Joe, on the whole IAM component. When it comes to usage reporting, performance reporting, billing, and other things like that, I'd say not just the cloud, but just IT in general shifting so much more towards giving the right user the right set of permissions and nothing more. So it's definitely important for customers to consider when they're moving to the cloud about how permissions of groups or users within the organization will translate so that people can do their job, but not put themselves at a security risk, right? So the visibility, while important, needs to be combined with the right technical capabilities of the cloud provider to give those permissions. Well, it's the final shift that we were hoping that a lot of us in IT operations would have understood and moved to, which was, you know, the option of thinking about things in the fact of whitelisting. You know, these are the minimum components that I know that I need to have that need to be allowed, that need to be able to talk to each other inside of my environment for it to do the functions that it should perform and nothing else. Now that's, you know, hypercritical once you go to public cloud and you have everyone in the world potentially having open access to something if you don't provision it correctly. Yeah, and I'd say to again add on to that, when you move to the cloud, it's also super important to have visibility on the security side, right? And that's another sort of misstep I've seen with customers over the years too, is just making assumptions. Again, not taking the time, whether the visibility is there or not, not taking the time to actually know whether when they move to the cloud, if they have the correct network rules in place, the correct bucket settings in place. We often hear about leaky buckets, which <laughs> is typically the end user's fault, right? Same thing when it comes to antivirus, malware, penetration testing. So when a customer is looking at the cloud, they need to realize a lot of the time that's on them, especially if they're purely using cloud hosting or infrastructure as a service. It's one of the reasons, you know, Island builds that in for customers, but at the same time, whether they do it themselves, they work with us or they're on premise, they just need to have visibility into what that looks like and how they're operating that because it's a huge component. And Joe, as you were mentioning, it's very unforgiving compared to on-prem when you build a new machine on-prem versus the cloud, uh, just how susceptible you are if you don't know what it looks like on the security side there. And there are just so many organizations that move to cloud before they understand either the shared responsibility model that goes with it or understanding that there are things that when you configure them in the cloud, it's not easy to back that out or make a change. Sometimes it's a teardown and reprovision of certain components inside of your environment. Once they've been configured a certain way, there is no modification to it the way that you know we might be able to do with a minor maintenance window inside of an on-prem data center. Yeah, <laughs> I couldn't agree more with the uh, when we talk about expertise, it's you know, I've, I've worked at software companies where their goal was disaster recovery, replication to the cloud, and bringing machines online. And I've seen customers have that shocked look on their face when they realize, and this would be more specifically non-VMware-based clouds typically, right? When we're talking about the AWS, the Azure's, the GCP's, where there's nothing necessarily wrong with the functionality that cloud provides, but it's a very different mindset for the end user to 
when they're on-premises, they think about perpetual compute. Typically, uh, I'm being generalistic here, but they're typically thinking, when I build a machine, that machine's sticking ground. When I build a network, that network's sticking ground. And if I need to change it, I can change it. I have visibility, I have control on that. And when you think about typically hyperscaler cloud, you're absolutely right. The sort of temporal nature of resources. Hey, if you want to modify the network settings, you're going to delete that machine and reprovision it. If you want to change this or that, you're going to, it's much more temporary in nature. So I definitely get a kick out of that because I've seen far too many customers not realizing the, uh, the difference in approach there. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the public cloud is just, it's really kind of driven more towards the development mindset, or at least now what we're transitioning into with DevOps and all the CICD pipelines for everything. It's, you know, declarative and it's very item potent nature where if I need this thing, I will make it happen. And then when I don't need it anymore, it goes away. And if I need to do it again, I spin it back up. But, you know, if I do something incorrectly, then I will just recreate the environment rather than do modifications. You know, I won't keep these special snowflakes around for multiple years that I just care and feed for them nonstop. Yeah, and platforms designed to work in that manner are going to look very different to an infrastructure person who's used to the vSphere client, for example, because it's a very different way of approaching infrastructure and not only how you manage it, but what's important to get to in that type of interface. Well, and I mean, back to the original discussion around accessibility itself, this is where if you are properly provisioning a lot of these things that you are segmenting out most of these services, there are a lot of infrastructure shops that would not understand that the things that they see inside of the console would not be everything that exists inside of that environment. They're typically used to being the ones that have the full admin permissions or the root privileges to everything to see what exists in that environment, whether that's you know the compute environment, the storage, the network, and everything. And they may not even understand all of the other components that might be hidden to where they are restricted to what they need for administrative permission of that environment they're consuming. But they may not be the overall owner or have the visibility to the overall billing of every component that's inside of that environment. Definitely. I'm going to go ahead and summarize real quick because this has been an awesome conversation. Things people should keep in mind. It's critical to get things right the first time around, which is easier on premises. We're used to being able to. You know, we get a big piece of equipment and we can do whatever we want with it and the costs aren't going to change, but that's not always the same. And a level of transparency from the cloud provider into what we're doing in that environment really enhances the trust and the positive perspectives that customers will have of that platform. Being able to see what's going on under the covers makes me more aware of what's going on and where I may get charged more in the end. Ultimately, IT operations need to shift mindsets to be prepared for, you know, we become true consumers. We're no longer the utmost provider of those resources. That's happening somewhere else. And we need to be aware of the fact that we may not be able to see the deep, dirty details anymore. And we also have to realize that different groups in the organization may have different levels of access and responsibility than we have on premises. A lot of that can be managed by the business, by the developers, and we as IT operations may not need to focus on that piece of it anymore. You know, that visibility into the non-technical items, especially, which can be almost as important as the technical items themselves. So make sure you understand what you're getting before you buy into and move into a new cloud system, because the last thing you want are surprises. Once you get things up and running, you should never make assumptions, particularly around security and billing, because any mistakes there will hurt. We've all heard the stories of the large bills that come in. 
make sure that you can keep an eye on what that billing is going to be, especially in those early days when you're first feeling out how the thing works. And we've all heard the stories of the leaky bucket syndrome and many other security problems that have happened over the years in the cloud, because once somebody breaks in and takes your data, once that bill comes at you from over usage or more accurately in some clouds over deployment, whether you're using it or not, they're expecting you to pay for it. There's not much of an out at that point. So some really great points, guys. I really appreciate that. So with that, let's close out this episode of the Cloud Bytes podcast. Thank you to my crew of Jays, Jack and Joe, for a great conversation. Also, thanks to iLand for making this podcast possible. Please check out the episode notes, panelist contact information, further information on this topic, and all the other episodes at cloudbytes.cloud. You can find our episodes on your favorite podcast app. And if you found this content useful, we'd really appreciate you sharing with your friends and colleagues, writing us on those podcast platforms as well. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Cloud Bytes podcast. Apparently the email address he gave me was not one he ever checked, so he didn't know this Ah. was happening. (laughs) Nice.